Welcome to Hard Mode. This startup caper is hard work. The startup founder reality is problem solving at its most extreme. A series of U-turns, struggles, setbacks, and adjustments on the path to creating tech-enabled businesses that customers and users love. Join us on this storytelling series with a roll call of technology company founders, investors, operators, and outliers as they share anecdotes of the journey towards sustainable growth. Hosted and curated by the team at Tractive Ventures. Welcome to Hard Mode. Hard Mode. Hard Mode. This episode of Hard Mode features Accuracy founder and executive chair Ross Sharman. Accuracy are a modular customer acquisition and management platform for the next generation of energy retailers. Their energy retail software supports a decentralization of energy infrastructure and they deploy renewable technology at scale to facilitate excess energy trading between customers. Their built-for-purpose energy retailer software is modular, scalable, and engineered for our net zero future. And we dive into the many aspects of Ross scaling up this business to where it is now. This episode is hosted by Tractor Ventures general partner, Kirsty Grant. Thanks for tuning in. Ross, welcome to the Hard Mode podcast. How are you doing? Uh, very well, thanks, Kirsty. And uh, nice to be talking to you. All right, let's get started. So what was the path that led you to this point? What's the accuracy origin story? Uh, probably about 15 years ago, um, I got really into trying to understand climate change and what that meant and just saw there was this huge thing that not many people understood. Um, and that kind of was the foundation for a journey that I went on and through a couple of businesses and then into accuracy, um, really trying to tackle climate change as, a, as an issue and, and particularly around trying to help the everyday consumer do their bit. Cool. And maybe do you want to give us a little overview of what accuracy actually does? Yep. So we're, we're involved in the um, the energy supply industry. And when I say the supply industry, we're, it's about helping the consumer change to achieve net zero uh, future on their home. So using solar, batteries, electric cars, smarter controls in the home to reduce that carbon intensity at the home and lower costs. Do you remember when you had the idea for accuracy? Yeah, and I think it culminated over a, a number of years and there were several moving parts to it. Um, and I guess one light bulb was probably about 10 years ago when I realized, and this was before everyone had solar and before there were any batteries around at all, but I kind of knew that for the, the house to become net zero, everything needs to talk to each other in the home. And the communications didn't exist then, and there wasn't smart meters. There weren't light bulbs that you can communicate to your phone. There weren't even smartphones. And I guess that was one part of it. And then fast forward a few years later, um, the talk of open banking, open energy, and the ability for consumers to be able to share their data with a bank that might finance the solar and batteries and take them on a journey to decarbonize the home and make it cheaper to run were kind of like the two key parts to how I saw this whole business model working. Um, and, and really, accuracy is around providing a platform that will take that consumer on the journey and join up the bank and join up the solar installer and the battery installer and the energy company so that 
we can actually deliver this whole thing for the consumer. Mm. What were the first couple of steps that you took? Oh, look, it's, it's, it's really been, so it's been a long journey. And I think it's, it's, you know, obviously with anything like that, you kind of do loads of research. You talk to <laughs> yeah. lots of people. Um, you test ideas. I mean, I pitched something similar to Westpac probably, uh, it would have been seven years ago and kind of got laughed out the room. But there was one person in the room that paid attention. And a few years later, that guy was at a neobank and he called me up and he said, Ross, let's give it a crack now. Um, so I think, you know, you just got to be patient um, and, and test ideas. doesn't matter if they seem completely radical. <laughs> you just kind of, kind yeah. of believe in yourself. And, um, yeah, it, it, it will come. If you believe enough and there's a few people that do get it, then there's probably a business there. Yeah, that point to really surround yourself with the people that believe in what you're doing. Yeah. and yeah. yeah, got it. And so I guess a, a big part of this journey has uh, involved creating a bit of a category uh, since you, you've been you've been doing it a while. What has that meant for you in the accuracy example? <laughs> it's funny. I think creating a category is probably being a bit generous, but what, what it means is we... Um, <laughs> Just take it. Yeah, <laughs> we... We've had to wait until the general consensus kind of gets the issue that we've been banging on about for years. Um, mm. And I mean, that category category definitely exists today and it's a growing category. I mean, you know, people are talking about, you know, climate change resolution being a, a mega trend now. Um, and mm. it definitely wasn't a few years ago. Um, no. And so in that interim, we've just been waiting, learning, um, you know, building relationships and an understanding of what's needed and then being ready to execute. So I guess that category has always existed. It's just not been popular. And to be able to capitalize on the category, you've just got to be ready for it and, and take the opportunity while it exists, basically. And did education play a part in this at all? Like- yeah, look, I, I, I don't think, I think there was... Um, you know, such negative um, views, especially in Australia, towards climate change as a subject for many years that education was pointless. So you really mm. had to wait until the general consensus had woken up to it. Um, and, and that cohort of early adopters, you know, you work with those guys and wait until the adoption curve gets bigger. So, you know, it's there's definitely, uh, you know, our customer is the energy company because we're helping them transition their customers to net zero. Um, so we've been educating them, but not the consumer, because the consumer will only change as general consensus sways towards that, and you'll only get the early adopters. So I wouldn't say we're, we've been very successful in educating, but we definitely understand our subject, and we, we know who gets it, and we talk to those people, and that, that cohort will grow over time, and it is growing. Yeah, and to your point around the relationships, that's where that trusted partnership comes in with those energy suppliers and making sure that you're the ones that they're calling on. So we often talk about um, paths like this uh, being in hard mode. Um, what's been the reality of, of getting accuracy to this point? And, you know, what were some of the challenges? Um, how have you been able to use this approach to building the business uh, to your advantage? Um, so we, we've been largely bootstrapped to date, and that's probably been you know many years of uh, income that's you know we've had to go out and earn. Um, 
and and so financial survival has also been has been kind of the biggest thing that we've had to adapt to and being resilient um and and having a very positive mindset and a, a strong belief in what we're doing um that's that's hard when things are tough even when they're good you you're paranoid that things will go bad and so you're always preparing for that downturn um you know mm-hmm. and, and i think yeah that that's and I'll talk about this in a bit, but I think you know we've had to change our business model to basically um, counteract that uh, financial survival. I mean, we're now doing a, a cap raise, which we we never considered before, um, purely because we are now in the middle of a start of a mega trend, and to be able to capitalize on that, we need more working capital than we can earn at the moment. Mm. And. How has Tractor kind of played into that as well? <laughs> Tractor helped us um, effectively bridge a gap and helped us transition from being a very much a customer-led. And you know, we've gone from working with many big, I'm sorry, a few big clients with big paychecks, um, which is great when it goes well, but that doesn't always last forever and there's only certain number of companies that can you know provide those paychecks so you need to be able to spread your risk and you need to be able to transition to be more product led and by being product led you need to change your your business and how you operate and so what tractor did was it came in with some working capital to allow us to do that and to hire some key people um, and change the way that we sell change the way that we produce things so they're more SaaS available and so it's mm-hmm. easier for people to take on. There's no implementation fees. And so the tractor was pivotal in us actually making that transition, um, which I'm very grateful. And, mm-hmm. and it brings, you know, a lot of experience to the um, the table for us. Yeah. And so we kind of skimmed over it, but let's go back a little bit to the, um, I guess, the struggles along the way and kind of how you've got to this point where you're making these decisions and making these changes. I'm sure there was a ton of lessons along the way. Um, What have some of those things been? Oh, look, the the, the amount of lessons you learn are invaluable and and painful. Um, But I think if I was to pick out one big struggle personally that I experienced and that was just really imposter syndrome um Mm -hmm. as the CEO of a company you kind of end up doing that job and you kind of making it up as you go along and everyone's looking to you for leadership you know suddenly we had a team of 24 people and you're supposed to be able to coordinate everything you know give a three-year forecast talk to your board and tell them what's doing now that took me a long time to get comfortable with. Um, and, you know, it's, it's only by practicing and learning and, and talking to peers, um, you do get comfortable with it. Um, and I think, you know, I'm not alone in that, but it, it does oh, feel no. quite lonely when you're at the top and you're guiding that company um, on your own. Yeah, it's, gosh, it's such an interesting point. I, you're definitely not alone in that. And uh, I think... 
there is often that expectation where you feel like you're supposed to have all the answers and the trick is actually, um, you know, building an environment where it's okay not to have all of the answers yeah. and, and you work together to kind of get there. Uh, so it sounds like that's been the, the journey that you've gone on with your team. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then obviously, importantly, building the right people around you yeah. who specialize in areas that you aren't good at. Um, and I think you know, you, you 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 get to an age. I mean, I'm I'm older than most people, so I'm very comfortable with who I am and, and what I can do and what I can't do well, and I can call that out without you know worrying too much. Um, I think it's harder to do in your younger years because you don't like to admit that you can't do things. But I think you know, being very humble and being pragmatic about what you can and you can't do is is really important um, to succeeding. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that probably segues quite nicely to a significant change that you've had of, of structure and also leadership um, and, you know, in that journey to become more product-led. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. So as I said, we, we wanted to, well, we needed to be able to transform the business from being customer-led to, to product-led. And, um, you know, my background's in software and, you know, I'm not, a product manager by any stretch. I've never really, mm-hmm. you know, when I was developing many moons ago, we products weren't really talked about in that way. Um, and the world's changed. And I think, you know, what, what I did, I had the fortune to actually work with um, a company, Amazing, um, which is a telco and an energy company, where it was until it sold to Optus. And um, the, the head of product there, um, Colin, you know, he ended up joining us and, um, yeah, he joined us as COO, but I, I knew that he was the sort of person I wanted to lead the company because he was a product manager, um, and a very smart and adaptive one at that. And I, it's, it's funny, you know, I talk about the imposter syndrome just as I get comfortable with being the CEO, <laughs> I decide to change it. And I think, you know, it was really about if we're going to become product led, then I need to get someone in there that knows product inside out and for him or her to build a team around them that is going to do that transformation. Um, I've still got a lot to give to the company. So, you know, I'm adopting the position of chair on the board so I can still help with the strategy and the the long-term vision. But it was that execution of being a product-led company needed a change at the helm. And um, so that's happened. And it's been kind of weird because after being that lonely person at the top, you're now trying to help someone um, overcome everything that you know I've learned over the years and failed at and make their lives a lot easier um, as the CEO of the company. So I think our listeners will probably want to hear a little bit more about the process that you went through to, to make this happen. Like how did you bring it up with Colin? Like what preparation took place? Like what did that all look like? I guess it was about um, a year in the making. Um, I'd always figured that yeah, my, my tenure as CEO would need to change at some point. I think you get to a point where you, you're not necessarily stale, but you just need fresh blood in the company. And, um, and, and, and that, of course, is not something that you do on a whim. It's got to be a very well thought out process. And of course, I talked to the board about it. Um, you know, I talked to a few different people over that period of time to see if they would be the suitable persons. And, and you know, when I actually started courting 
Colin for the position of COO at the time, I did indicate that this would probably translate into being CEO. And, you know, he's, there was a, it was a challenge, a big step up for him. Um, but, mm. you know, I was, I was absolutely confident at the time that he, he could make that transition and, and step up. Yeah. And I think doing it in an environment where he's still got you there yeah. uh, is ideal too, right? It becomes a bit more of a, a partnership. Yeah, look, we're a team and, and that's the way it should be as well. I think, you know, the, yeah. the chair of the board should be the person that works very closely with the CEO and, you know, help them and help them do their job, um, mm. you know, not get in the way. <laughs> yeah that that things happen and and just help and advise and and you know be there for you know if it's capital raising or anything that needs to be done to make his job easier to help him execute with the rest of the team mm. did you have any good like parting words of wisdom when you did the, the official handover <laughs> I said in a Yoda kind of vibes or <laughs> I think one of the first things I said to him when he joined I said just because he'd never really done a startup before. He'd had several senior positions in corporates. But I just said, you've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> there, there is no HR department. There is no, you know, you, you are the, uh, it's, it's where the buck stops with you. So I think that was probably the one thing. <laughs> I think that's um, yeah. something, it takes a long time to actually get that right and just go, okay, well, life's going to be chaotic, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, and how did the team uh handle the changes how did you communicate that and, and manage I guess the perspectives of, of others on the team yeah look we actually got um, a consultant um, who kind of ex- expertised in, in um, change management to help us with that mm-hmm. process I think communications are you know so important and something like that you could... didn't wing it <laughs> sorry no I didn't wing it no you want to wing it <laughs> if it was down to me probably on my own I probably would have but no I mean it was carefully managed and how we communicated and the timing of it you know it, it we, we coincided it with me going away on holiday so he could step in on an interim <laughs> role and he could actually run the business for you know two or three weeks and then you know and then I could come back and, and make that step and it wasn't so harsh um mm-hmm. I don't know if it was perfect, but the team took it well. I think um, no one's actually said to my face that was a stupid decision. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it now allowing you to do? Like if you think about this, the, the activities that you love to do in, in the business um, and, are, and are probably your, your natural strengths as well, I guess the question is where – yeah, what are you getting to do today that you weren't able to do before and, and what kind of what impact is that having? Yeah, like, I mean, so instead of getting, you know, 100 calls a day, I get five. <laughs> and I get, you know, I get 20 emails a day instead of like 500. So that just gives you back time, time to think and time to do tasks. I think, you know, as a CEO, you're literally just making decisions and you're just, it's like, you know, machine gun fodder all day long. Um, and I'm not an operational person, you know, there, there were certain aspects of the CEO role. I just wasn't good at, I did them, but I wasn't good at them. Um, what I do love doing is basically building relationships. Um, I love long-term strategy planning and, you know, planning the execution of that. And I think that's what, you know, I, I can do that. That's what I'm good at. And that's what I'll can still give to the business and we'll be focusing on um, growth to New Zealand later this year um, and then into next year and then obviously 
supporting that with capital raises. So awesome. not that I'm brilliant at the capital raises, but <laughs> I can do uh, it. Yeah. You'll get good at it. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. It's just practice. Yeah. Um, sometimes uh, we uh, too quickly move, you know, we kind of have a win and then we move on to the next thing and we don't often kind of take the time to enjoy it. Um, do you have a, a significant personal win uh, in the business recently that kind of has caused you to have one of those pinch me moments? Yeah, look, I think um, actually it was probably last week. Um, and, hmm. you know, we've been working on some technology and we got it painted to them. There was no uptake of it in the market. And I always believe, and so just to give you a so basically we, we believe we can change the way that solar is sold and adopted um, from being a very fragmented sales process into a purely digital process and we've got some neat technology around that and then you know we engaged with this solar company and they're, they're a big outfit and they you know they jumped at it and they basically taken it on board and we've done a deal with them um and it will be rolled out by you know in a couple of months and it, it's just so satisfying when you believe in something and you've been told no you know a hundred times by various people and even investors who thought that it was similar to something else um, then to have someone go, you know, a CEO of a solar company go, this is exactly what I've been looking for and it's going to change the way we sell solar. Um, that That's so rewarding. Yeah. How long was that process? <laughs> we we started work on this 18 months ago. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, interesting. Because I think this is a thing that comes up for lots of, um, you know, smaller companies where there is a, a large organization that comes along and you, you go down this path of partnership and it can have outcomes like this that are great. And then it can have outcomes where, you know, a smaller startup is pouring a whole lot of resource into yeah. um, a partnership that's a little one-sided. Um you know, I'm, I'm sure that's probably been an experience that you've had. How did you know along the way that it was going to work? And were, were there moments where you thought maybe it wasn't? <laughs> yeah, plenty. So going back to, you know, the, the financial challenges where you, we've had periods where we've really had to tighten the belt and, you know, mm. that's, that's tough to go through. Um, but I guess it, it's great when you've got a team that completely believes in what you're doing and, you know, you've got customers that carry you through that as well. Um, so I think, you know, I, we're, we're never going to, and I think with this solar tool, there is something there that's just going to, if it goes right, this is something that could change solar sales globally. Um, and, and that's really exciting. But I think, you know, we still got a way to go. We're on a great path. Um, a lot of businesses fail along the way. We survived and, you know, we still make money. The team's excellent. The team's happy. Um, they're all motivated. I think the change with Colin has just helped reinvigorate the team and change the way that we do things. And so there's kind of like this new energy. Um, so I feel we're so well placed um, for the next couple of years. And, and and I think you know we you know our goal is to go global, and I think we can definitely do that. You know we definitely got the, mm -hmm. the right ingredients. 
does it feel like you're at the starting line a little bit? Uh, not in starting line. We're at, um, probably, if we're doing a 100-meter race, we're probably, you know, at the 50-meter mark. I think we're halfway there. Yep. A lot of the hard yards yep. have been done. Um, we've got mm-hmm. a good product. We've got good technology. We've got a great team, um, good leadership in place. Um, so I, th- I think we've got all the ingredients. We just need to, you know, knuckle down for the last 50 meters and just sprint hard now. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And you know, we talked a little bit before around having some some tractor help, but what other external help um, have you have you had here? Yeah, um, so over the years, I've I've adopted a lot of mentors um, mm-hmm. who have worked with me at various stages, and some of those engagements have been like quite long, um, and some have mm-hmm. been short, but most have actually ended up in being you know good friends, and so you can kind of call on these people at any point and. That's really, really helped. And obviously Tractor brings a lot of that same sort of experience and you can just cherry pick the bits that you need when you want, um, which is really cool because it's kind of, I don't think I've shared this with you, but I think, you know, um, I was about to set up an advisory board and then when I started working with Tractor, I said, I don't need that advisory board because I've got all that talent there and I can just take it as we need it, um, which is ideal if if um you know i could have had that a few years ago that would have probably helped avoid a few issues but um yeah i think men- mentors and you know experience around you is just so critical yeah absolutely are there uh some businesses out there um or some people that you you really admire and and look up to and and would recommend that other people take notice so you mean apart from tractor um oh. <laughs> So, shucks on behalf of all of yeah, us <laughs> no look at yeah look, obviously you're, you're great guys i think there's a couple of companies i guess in the, the fintech space that i've got friends with the ceos um that have both succeeded really well um frollo is kind of the leader in open banking um gareth has done an amazing job as leading that company and then um frankie which is a um a fintech integration platform um, you know, there's an amazing team of people and Simon, the CEO there, you know, I think both those guys, you know, along with the likes of Matter and, and the rest of you um, are just people that I, I look up to and just want to talk to, to get advice. And because I just, you just know you're going to get good, good advice when you do ask for it. Some good perspectives. Uh, so we know a little bit about the next 50 meters in the race uh, for you uh, and the kind of the trajectory that you're heading on. What do you need to accelerate your growth even further, faster, better, et cetera? Yeah, so we are close to closing some capital, which will basically give us enough runway, um, additional runway. So pretty much doubling the team in the next 12 months um, to basically get some working examples in Australia on the whole um, customer acquisition and billing for the home power plant where you've got solar batteries and electric vehicle. Then we want to very quickly test that in New Zealand. With that validated, we then want to be able to go to the UK and at the same time, we'll probably go to a US market like Texas, um, which will require more capital. So we'll then need to raise some more capital to fund that growth. And we've got friendlies in both those markets that will help us land there. 
Um, but that's kind of, yeah, and, and that's really the globalization. I mean, New Zealand's kind of a, a baby test for us. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's important to do that. You know, it, it, it'll yeah, tick a few boxes. It's a, it's a different market. It's got a lot of nuances that are different to Australia. Um, and then, you know, and then it's ready for that big step abroad. And and what we're doing, obviously, is as we develop technologies, making sure that we, you know, we don't get to the UK and realise that it's just not going to work because it's not compatible. We've got to be ready. So there's a lot of research and effort up front to make sure that we are global thinking in our technology and even product communications, you know, is, is actually going to work in the US and it's going to work in the UK as well as, you know, mm. down in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, cool. You mentioned their hiring. What types of people are you going to be looking uh, on board? Yeah, look, it'll be um, a lot of uh, development technology. Um, we'll be hiring... Along with everyone yeah, else exactly looking to hire developers. And look, I think it's interesting because we've had a good chat um, with regards to COVID and the the fact that everyone's more comfortable working not necessarily in your home city. So, you know, we, we'd spread our wings now looking for talent into, you know, Southeast Asia. Um, also, you know, look at New Zealand. I, I know technical talent's hard to get, so you've just got to think a little bit outside the box. Um, and, and and aside from technical, we'll be getting product managers, we'll be getting more data analysts. Um, we need a new COO um, to replace Colin. <laughs> so we've got someone lined up for that Didn't position. Get... But, um Awesome. Yeah. Cool. And I imagine the the people that come on board, are, you know, you mentioned they're thinking outside the box to attract them, but I think a lot of people will be drawn to the mission that you're on um, and, and using that as a bit of a secret weapon for, for bringing people on board. Yeah, like it's, it's definitely part of our recruitment process is to identify whether they're a believer in mm. trying to change the world and, you know, they want to do something. Yeah, we, we talk about being purpose-led. Um, Colin's very keen to get the the company um, accredited under B Corp. So we, we're literally, you know, kind of making sure we practice what we preach. Yeah. So to just jump back to your mention of the B Corp certification, what is the, I guess, the thinking and the approach for that and why is it important in the context of accuracy? Yeah, I think, well, one of the things that Colin wanted to do, you know, if he took the position of CEO was to actually get accuracy accredited under B Corp. And, yeah, there's only a small number of companies in Australia that have gone down this path. I think it will become much more popular, um, you know, and it's, it's beyond, you know, ESG. Um, you know, it's how you treat employees and it's how you behave. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's a code of conduct that you live and breathe. And I think that's an excellent thing for any company to adopt. And then you'll want to work with other companies that are accredited under B Corp because you know they have similar values. So I think it will become much more prevalent. I think, um, you know, I'm glad Colin wants to push that through. Um, he's already done the initial assessments. And um, I know that's something that will be, starting on pretty soon Mm. Um, because I think that's that's really important is just to um, make sure that everyone's coming in they're working with a purpose and they are actually trying to make a difference to the world rather than just make money absolutely
That was Hard Mode with Ross Sharman of Accuracy in conversation with Tractor Ventures general partner, Kirsty Grant. You can find the company online at accuracy.com. That's A-C-C-U-R-A-S-S-I and also via Twitter at Accuracy. You can also find Ross on Twitter at Ross B. Sharman. Thanks for joining us and see you on the next episode.